Hey everyone, welcome to Be The Change. My name is Lily Mott, and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when you speak the unspoken. My guest this week is Elijah McKenzie Jackson, and I am so excited to share his story and his work with you. Elijah is, among many other things, a civic artist and climate justice activist. I am excited to share this conversation with Elijah, so without further ado, let's get started with this episode featuring Elijah McKenzie Jackson. I'm Elijah McKenzie Jackson, a 19-year-old British climate artist and activist. I grew up in London as a vegetarian, which got me understanding the climate crisis a tiny bit, I think with two mums as well. So I was always thinking outside the box, ready to challenge social norms. And that led to me becoming a climate activist and where I am today. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Elijah. And I would just love to go deeper into what motivated you to get started with this work. I know some people have kind of an aha moment and for others, it's more gradual. Can you tell me more about what inspired you to get started in activism? Yeah, I don't think I ever had a moment which was like, aha. And I don't know many people who have actually. I think either we're socialized into becoming activists or we read the news and it's a slow burn and we kind of understand what's happening because I think there's definitely a long time between understanding what's happening and then feeling empowered enough to use your voice for change, right? So I think for me, growing up, I've always known there's a difference and I've always known that I can make a change. It's just navigating the pathway to feeling empowered enough to do that was probably my aha moment in a sense. That's a really interesting point. And I would also love to know more about the work you're doing and the work that you've done in the past. Can you tell me some of your most memorable or favorite highlights from your activism journey so far? My journey's definitely shifted and changed. I started an Extinction Rebellion when I was 14, before the first ever rebellion of London happened. It, they weren't really known. And I think that was beautiful in a sense because I went purely for the reason which was about climate justice. And I learned so much. I remember organizing um, and coordinating beforehand and it really, really empowered me. And I met such a brilliant, diverse group of people, which I've never met before. So it opened my eyes into activism and it was kind of like a boot camp really on how to create change. I learned so much at such a young age as well. So it's definitely instrumental into the way of thinking and the way I think now. Then the School Strike for Climate movement came about, which was really, really, I mean, I think I t- it took the world for storm, which was great. It was a great communicator on why we need climate justice and the young people won't give up and we are the future. But then the pandemic happened, a lot shifted. And that's when I really started to focus on my art and realised that we can create a change with mass mobilisation, which I still do, but also we can create a change through an emotional perspective on an, not individual action, but an individual response to something and then that can create ripple effects of change as well. I would love to pick your brain a little bit more about the role of art in activism and the way that art can be used to make change. You're combining these two parts of yourself, your art and your activism, and I would just love to know more about that choice. Can you tell me more about why you're choosing to express yourself and make change through art? Yes, ironically, I'm not that good at articulating myself and I know on a podcast right now. But um, I think for me, 
it's some somewhere I can so I've got depression I've I've had it for quite a long time and I do struggle with mental health especially to do with the climate crisis so I think for me to go away and really process my emotions is critically important to be able to sustain the work I'm doing and for me to be able to do that through art still empowers me but gives me time to rest and understand how I'm feeling and I think as a guy that's very important is to talk about this and to understand that we can be artists and we can also have mental health and we can be upset and that's okay. So yeah, I think art also will always be more powerful than words because it goes beyond language and it goes it goes beyond accessibility, right? And I think we, we've seen that before, even in World War II in concentration camps, artists drew on walls. There's always been a means of projecting change and a therapy to, to nearly everyone. I mean, Art can be music, art can be anything, and everyone uses art to be able to feel comfort. I think your story is really interesting and it's unique because of the intersectionality of these issues that you're passionate about and the work you're doing. I would love to know more about how you manage to balance your activism for different issues, especially issues that are so big and can be so scary. Can you tell me about how you keep balance in your life when you are thinking about and raising awareness about an issue as big as climate change every day? Yeah, definitely. It's really difficult. Managing mental health is, I think, a journey for everyone and it doesn't stop. The second you feel better, you must maintain, right? There's always going to be a roller coaster because nothing is ever stagnant in life. For me, it was definitely a journey. I went to the Amazon rainforest and met with Indigenous leaders when I was 15 just before COP25, which was amazing. But I did find it really distressing as well. And I think lots of the Indigenous people did as well. We all got invited by them to go to a massive conference to talk about Indigenous rights and the intersection between environmental justice within the Amazon rainforest, which was very eye-opening, but I think also very challenging as I was 15 and I went by myself for a month. And I found myself back in England after COP25, which was a huge dynamic shift as well from a really holistic com- holistic and innovative and magical experience in the Amazon to something quite corporate and money orientated was really difficult. And then coming back to London, I found myself being in a place not knowing what to do and I felt quite powerless. And then the pandemic hit, which didn't help at all. But I think you just need to sit with your emotions and not ignore them to understand them. And that's probably why I feel empowered today is because I let myself feel those emotions. I spoke to my parents about it and I spoke to my friends and my support system. And I wasn't ashamed of feeling these emotions either because everyone feels emotions. And I would argue people with depression and anxiety to the climate crisis aren't the ones who have mental health issues. The people who who are immune and don't feel the crisis are the ones with the mental health issues. It's a human response. It's a natural response to feel the way we're feeling because the world is quite literally dying and humanity is about to become extinct if we don't do something. So to not feel depression or anxiety is, I think that's a real issue. That's such an interesting point. And I actually haven't heard anyone bring up that point. So thank you for sharing that. I want to continue on this topic and ask you to share more about how you cope with anxiety and depression. What do you do when you need to sit in your feelings and take some time to protect your peace? What does that self-care look like for you? Yeah, um, again, it's always changing. I think art for me does protect my peace, even though you could call it my work as well, I know, which I think is really amazing. And I've, I've definitely got a unique privilege to be able to call my work something which creates peace for me. Um, 
Um, I, I live with my fiance, and I think he's also in the climate movement, so it's sometimes difficult. But we've create we've been really disciplined, and we've created time where we work certain hours, and we go to the cinema, we have fun, we go to museums, we play mini golf. We are normal. Um, we don't work on the weekends, and we just we have friends, and we just live a really normal life, which I think is really important because we're allowed to be happy. Even though the world is dying and we are privileged, we are we are still entitled to feel happiness and allow ourselves to go out and feel joy. And I think that's critically like critically important to understand as well as to not feel. I think I went through a point where I felt really guilty for allowing myself to feel happy because there are people because people are dying on this planet because of the Western cultures and the way we live. But I think also to understand that the issue of climate change and neocolonialism is such a macro issue. And it is caused, like carbon emissions are caused by 70%. Um, 70% of carbon emissions are caused by 100 corporations. I think to really take yourself out of the situation and understand that if you do all you can, that's enough, is really important. I think that's a great point about not punishing yourself and making sure to live your life and do the best you can. Go to that movie, play mini golf, do what brings you joy. I think that's that's really important advice. So shifting gears a bit, but you started at such a young age in this movement. You mentioned being 14, 15 years old. And I would love to know if you faced any challenges claiming a seat at the table. Have you dealt with any skepticism or other obstacles because of your age throughout your activism journey? I have, even within the youth movement, because I was very young. I was 14. I wasn't 19 or 18. But I've always viewed age as just a number. I feel comfort within hanging out with people older than me. I like... During lunches in high school, I'd sit with the teachers and just talk and I'd have a really nice time. And I never thought that was weird or different. And I'm still in contact with my teachers to today. Um, I don't know why. I mean, my best friend is my granny. I, I love spending time with older people. So for me, it's never been an issue because I do truly believe age is just a number. But needless to say, other people don't. Right. We can say. Like, I can be not racist, but the world is still racist. So it's important to, to acknowledge these injustices and to acknowledge how people treat people differently. Um, but I am also very privileged because I'm a white man. So yes, but in a sense, I've been very self-confident and self-aware knowing that I am equal to everyone else, which I think is quite unique as well because I've never doubted myself. And maybe that's because of the support system I have around me growing up in such a holistic family, but yeah. I think that's inspiring that you have this confidence and that you feel so comfortable confronting these challenges. So my next question is a little bit cliche, but do you have any words of wisdom or maybe advice that you try to live by? I do. Um, I've actually got a tattoo of this one in exclusive. It's cool. Uh, so when I was in the Amazon, I got my arm painted by the indigenous people um with a pattern which meant the tortoise shell and this means in their culture power and resistance to be really really powerful within um resisting and opposing but not to be violent and not to ever instigate and I think that is something I live by definitely and to speak the unspoken I'm always re I feel like my my um role in the world is to antagonize society and speak the unspoken and make people think even if it's unpopular, I don't mind because I am confident and I don't really care what people think and I am privileged. So to be able to speak the unspoken and trigger um, some emotive thoughts is 
something I want to do as well. I think that's such great advice to keep in mind and to live your life by. And it also leads really well into my last question for you. Lots of young people, especially high school students and college students, want to create change and want to make a difference, but they may not know how to get started with that work. Do you have any advice for those people who may be listening? I do. Every skill and every passion can combat the climate crisis or any injustice. Take me as an Take me as an example, I do art and that can create change because it can create conversation. So if you're a writer, write about climate justice, write poems. If you're a speaker, try and go to panels. Um, you can reach out to your local organisations. Also just try and be creative. We're never going to solve this issue if we play by the rules of the game because the game is broken. So we must break the rules to be able to create change. I really enjoyed this conversation with Elijah because I think he shared some great advice. Elijah is making change in many different ways and has been for years, but he also manages to maintain balance in his life, which I think is so important. I want to highlight one of Elijah's goals for himself, which is to speak the unspoken. Elijah is using his art and his voice to start conversations and make people think, especially about climate change. Elijah is saying what hasn't been said doing what hasn't been done, and breaking the rules in order to create change. I think we can all keep Elijah's story in mind, because change comes when you speak the unspoken. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and you can find Elijah on Instagram at Elijah Mackenzie Jackson to get connected with him. If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org or on Instagram at bethechangepodcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then, be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye, guys.